If you've told me that I'm at the bottom, how can I ever see myself as a valuable member? How can I then see myself as being able to contribute anything really? So hello and welcome to the Still We Rise podcast. Today we're joined by Last Mafuba, who's the executive director of Anini Initiative and Karen Lamini, who's a psychologist and a therapist. So welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you, Nathan. Um, last, let's, let's start with you. Why, why did you set up Anini Initiative? What was, what was your goal and purpose for it? Inini is actually a reaction from uh, the challenges that I faced whilst going through the asylum process Mm -hmm. and when I was trying to integrate into my community. Uh, I had a mental breakdown when I was on the asylum process. And when I received my status, I volunteered with Coventry Refugee and Migrant Centre and I witnessed fellow asylum seekers, sorry, and refugees going through the same experiences I went through. And I thought uh, we needed something, something like Inini, to help mitigate against those challenges. Okay. And you're, you're obviously a black African woman um, arriving in a, in a new country. So when you when you were going through the asylum process, did you find that you could get help or get some form of assistance for some of the trauma that you were suffering? It actually was very difficult to to get help. When I was on the asylum process, my caseworker picked uh, the fact that I was going through mental health issues, Mm -hmm. that I had some issues, and he referred me to a therapist whom I saw only once. Mm -hmm. And the reason I didn't go back uh, for the second session because I I couldn't relate with the therapist. Okay. And because I am Karanga, Mm -hmm. and uh, maybe if I, uh, I will mention that Inini, uh, is a translation for the South, where in my Karanga culture, we mm-hmm. believe that the self and the environment are one. Okay. If the self and the environment are not together, then mental health issues kick in. So I set up Inini. Mm-hmm so that we try and balance the environment Mm -hmm. and the self in the UK for people to feel better about their mental health and to integrate better. Okay, and in your your experience of the whole asylum process, do you think it's possible for somebody to go through the whole process and all its obstacles and hurdles without experiencing it? A mental health episode of some sort? I think I still have to see somebody who goes through that process and come out with no mental health issues. It's practically impossible. Hmm. Is it, well, what issues, what issues are, are triggers for 
Is it the limbo that people experience because the Home Office takes a, a while to make decisions? Or is it just the fact that they've experienced trauma in their home country and then arrive here and they're faced with a lot of hostility? I think it's all of the things you mentioned. Uh, for somebody to leave their countries mm. and move to the UK, they obviously go through some trauma. Mm -hmm. And when they get here, it's not automatic. You know, when you are leaving your country mm. to come to the UK, we, we often hear that uh, it's said in the media and everywhere that uh, there are no human rights in Africa. Mm. And we all want to come to the UK because there are human rights in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we think um, the UK respects human rights. Mm -hmm. So you run to the UK and you go through a lot of stuff to get to the UK. Mm -hmm. But when you arrive in the UK, you realize it's not automatic. Mm -hmm. You don't just get your status. Mm -hmm. You have to go through a whole lot of other things that gives you more trauma. Mm. So it just adds to what is there already. Right, okay. Yeah. And Karen, as a, a psychologist and a therapist, the people who, who come to Nini to try and get some form of assistance, what are they presenting with? Um, <clears throat> generally, most people will at any point in their life experience um, some form of stress and the level and the magnitude of the stress is made worse by losing that sense of security that comes from a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. uh, when we are somewhere where we feel we belong and we've got a good support network and you know sometimes it makes it easier to cope with the pressures that are presented in life but if we think about that whole journey of actually having to make that decision of leaving the place that you call home and then migrating or moving to somewhere where you are hopeful to get help and support, only to get there and have a kind of experience. Because for most of the people that we, we, we work with at Inini, mm -hmm. most of them, their experience has been that the process and the journey has been about engaging with systems that are quite hostile, that are not at all welcoming. So mm -hmm. even that in itself is such a shock isn't it? In that you come expecting or thinking that you will be supported and helped. Mm. And then you encounter services or people or situations where you're constantly encouraged to return or go back or you're made to feel unwelcome. Mm. And then you end up uh, losing yourself. You've got like your sense of self, identity, mm. and just, you know, because most of them, they can't go back anymore. They can't, you know, there's all all of that kind of thing yeah. they're not with their family they've um you know they, they don't have even just basic things like accommodation like we all mm -hmm. kind of you know think about maslow's hierarchy of needs where yeah. you have that basic need for shelter and food you can't even have that mm -hmm. so as you can imagine all of the issues that come with that mm -hmm are always present. And there is no kind of situation where you can say the end is nigh, you know, like tomorrow things will get better. And yeah. with the systems the way they are, they're mm. designed in a way that they can't even have a guarantee that even the processing of their situation will be done by two months or whatever it is. It's whenever. Right. So just... 
Yeah. That sounds like there's a whole load of insurmountable obstacles. So what kind of therapy are you then offering to people who have this diversity of experience and all of this trauma? Mm, that's a very good question, Nathan, and thank you for that. How we work at Inini is that we provide therapeutic services in different ways. We have group sessions where mm. we all kind of um, try to identify issues that are pertinent to our people group, mm. um, whether it's kind of like um, dealing with emotions, managing anger, you know, mm. dealing with the, the sadness, the loss, and all of that kind of thing, helping them manage their emotions, recognize their emotions, and, you know, because a, a lot of it is about kind of existing in a state of helplessness sometimes. Mm. And, uh, you know, the, the, the different kind of issues, they, they're different from anxiety, depression, all manner of things. And some of the clients that we work with have mm. been victims of, you know, traumatic experiences that mm. they've experienced before, which have made them to which have led to them having made that decision to come over. And some of the trauma is actually part of the process of coming to, you know, to the UK or any other country in that. We also provide one-to-one -one support as well, like, you know, individual counselling sessions. Mm -hmm. We do assessments. We see what is needed, when is needed. And we also try and provide training as well in terms of helping them understand the systems here and there and all of that. And there's so many things as well. We've had to adapt the service as we, you know, as, as INEA has evolved. Because okay. when it all started, we, have an, we had an idea of what it might look like. Okay. And then, you know. Right, okay. And there's obviously the challenge um, of integrating into this society. So if you're living on the margins of society lost and you've come here, you are seeking protection and that protection doesn't seem to be there. How then do, how do you work to try and get people to integrate into, into this new society that they've come to? It sometimes is very difficult, uh, especially for asylum seekers and those with no recourse to public funds. Mm -hmm. It may be easier for refugees or those with status mm -hmm. because then they can access social housing Mm -hmm. Though, in most cases, they get the worst ones, dilapidated houses with mold and stuff. But when you're trying to work with those with no recourse to public funds, mm -hmm. it's challenging. I have worked with uh, people experiencing mental health issues who mm -hmm. are detained under the Mental Health Act. Mm -hmm. And we know there is the Section 117 aftercare rule where someone who has experienced mental health issues and been detained cannot be released to homelessness. Mm -hmm. But we see that happening quite often. Right. People continue to be released back into homelessness. Why do you think that is? I think it's... I, I, I don't want to say it's an oversight or that people don't know because they know about this rule. Mm. And when we follow it up and try to advocate for them, mm. they always uh, get accommodation. But obviously, the person with no recourse to public funds does not realize there is the Section 117 rule. Mm. But obviously, the hospitals know. We do have uh, social workers that are there in hospital, mm. and they are waiting to work with 
people like our clients mm -hmm. and they should like support them to navigate the system mm -hmm. to get accommodation and stuff. Right, okay. Yeah. And are you are you finding that a lot of the people who you are working with, um, whilst they're in their asylum system, is there a significant difference between the mental health issues that they're presenting with um, before they get a decision and after they get a decision? Have you got mechanisms which sort of investigate what happens before and after? I would say uh, when you really look at it, uh, when someone is going through difficulties with their mental health whilst on the asylum system, mm. obviously the challenges they are facing are different. Mm -hmm. And the challenges they would face after they get their status mm -hmm. are different. But looking back, when I reflect back, I think it's just a continuation of the same challenges. It's more like they just uh, graduate to a different level hmm. because um, they don't get any solutions when they are going through the asylum process. There are no solutions. Yeah. And they just carry their challenges into their next phase of life when yeah. they get their status. Nice. So I think uh, what we need is to have some form of uh, solutions to challenges they are facing when they are going through the asylum process. Not mm -hmm. everyone is uh, able to access INENE. Some people don't even know about INENE. Okay. So obviously if they are to access INENE, then we do have Karen who can work with them. Mm -hmm. And we do have our peer support group where they can get information and um, get together with others. Because also uh, isolation is one of the biggest issues when someone is going through the asylum process, or even after they get their status. If you don't know anyone in the UK, if you don't speak the language, mm -hmm. if you don't know where to go for certain services, mm -hmm. then it adds to your mental health issues. Right, okay. Karen, I, I want to ask you about, about being in limbo. Mm -hmm. What does that do to a person? Um, I think, you know, again, that's another very good question. I think it also links in part to what you just asked last as well about the state of mind as you go through the process in that, you know, we talked about initially coming with this expectation, this hopefulness mm -hmm. to get support and slowly you realise it's not going to happen. Yeah. And then you, you have this expectation that people are going to be a fair in their process and they're going to be reasonable in terms of how it all works mm -hmm. and then you have to actually come to terms with the fact that you have no power you have no authority in terms of what's happening to you it's almost like someone else has the power to make decisions for you and about your life and you have to almost kind of come to terms with that and make some kind of peace because if you don't it will make it difficult for you to move forward to the next day. And mm -hmm. this process or place of being in limbo, you have no way of knowing when it's going to end. So mm -hmm. they, it, it is very difficult for a lot of our clients. They have times when they find it more difficult than other times. Mm -hmm. And it's about encouraging each other, or encouraging them to just kind of, just, you know, be in a place where they can still see that light at the end of the tunnel and be 
uh, hopeful and not lose hope. Because once that happened, that's where you have situations where, you know, from time to time, a lot of the clients we, we work with have talked about having got to a place where they felt even suicidal as they've been in that place of limbo. And then even when you get to a stage like you were talking about where your papers come because you've had to train yourself to to kind of function in that place where you're not too hopeful where even good news you can't really get excited about it anymore you're still stuck in that place that yes the papers have come but you you just you know it takes a while to get you to accept or realize that life has changed and how much of it has changed because when you're in that place of limbo you're so dependent on the support of your peers so now you're being a lot of services they close their doors to you now they say we don't want to help you anymore and now you're again in isolation you're now alone on the other side where you know a lot of the services saying actually we don't help people like you you go go your way so one of the things that we found at inini that even after the papers come we still need to to provide some kind of support and connection that uh, most of our clients have come to regard as family or you know yeah. Right, okay. There's can a... I, sorry, can yeah, I just sure. uh, add something to what Karina said? I, I just want uh, people to note that we at Inini work with people who have been in limbo for 16 years, for 20 years. Hmm. So it's not easy for someone to be in limbo for 20 years and then get their status and just like, yeah, just like that, switch to something different. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of time for people to get back to where they are meant to be. I know there is a report uh, which said it takes seven years for somebody who moves from another country to settle in this country to get back to the level where they were in their home country. Seven years. Mm-hmm. So can you imagine mm-hmm. what happens to somebody who's been in limbo for 20 years? How much time do they need to get back to the level they were before they left their countries. Mm, the, the impact is, is very serious, isn't it? It, it is serious. On their, um, on their life chances, effectively, and their careers. So, Karen, it's, it's interesting that you, you, you talk about limbo in that particular way. So I want to ask you about... So the system gives people what amounts to about five pounds... It's now about £5.60 pence a day to live on. And they've got no choice but to access charities and things like that. What, what kind of mental health strains do you find or, or issues that happen to people? Because they, in their home countries, they, are perfectly f- they may have been living a very good quality life and then they have to transition to having to leave, being forced to leave their country and come here and then have to access charitable services and not have the right to work and be given this handout, which is under six pounds a day. What does that do to a person? Mm. Um, in a way, to, to, to kind of observe or see, mm. it is, is really quite sad, to be honest, because... The whole journey or process, it almost strips people of their dignity. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Most people are grateful, they're appreciative of any help and support. It's not about saying I'm worth a certain, you know, it is about kind of saying, okay. And like you say, if you were, I don't know, a doctor or someone like that, and you know you've got your skills and you're hardworking, because most people, you know, they talk about how they would just like to be given opportunities to, mm. to actually make a difference, to contribute, to do all, all. But then you're told, no, this is what you need to do, and this has to be enough for you. It, it has that effect of saying, this is where we peg you. This, mm. is, this is how you are. So... Coming to terms with that or accepting that, it, it almost makes someone, it affects their self-esteem. Yeah, it's sort of like a hierarchy in, in the class system here. Yeah. That you're right at the bottom and that you need to stay there. Yeah, definitely. It does have that effect of making. So even after, like you were saying, after when, when there's some kind of change to their status, whatever it is, mm -hmm. if you've told me that I'm at the bottom, how yeah. can I ever see myself as a valuable member? How can I then see myself as being able to contribute anything really uh, you know again that state of mind it can be so damaging and as you're going through that place of being in limbo really actually what you want to hold on to is your identity what yeah. you want to hold on to is your sense of self and that's really difficult when everything about you is telling you no actually you're less than this is your value this is how little you know you um you qualify or we see you mm, and last uh, community cohesion is something that's that's very big in in local authorities and and things like that. Do you find that the people who you work with, the services, um, actually listen to you because you've had this lived experience and you know the things that they need to change in order for people who arrive in a new country um, to feel as though they they're welcomed and they can integrate better? What I've realized is people that I get in contact with or rather organizations that I get in contact with hmm. and where I get to tell my story or where I get to tell the refugee or asylum seeker narrative, mm -hmm. they become interested. What then what, I, what is disturbing is the fact that even though they are interested, mm. they still cannot deliver a service which is culturally sensitive mm. to the people I support. Okay. And we at Nini, even though we know what to do, we know the kind of service our beneficiaries require and need, because we listen to what they say, we know what they want, mm -hmm. but we don't have the resources. Right. And because we are a small organization, mm -hmm. it's difficult to access funding. Mm -hmm. And obviously the bigger organizations, mm -hmm. they will go and get, the, they get all the funding. Right. Yeah. And when they get the funding, mm -hmm. they get all the funding Mm -hmm. but they don't support the, the, our beneficiaries. Right. Because our beneficiaries cannot access their services because they don't relate to it. Okay. Yeah. Right. And so when you, when you say, can you expand a bit on what culturally sensitive means? 
Yeah, uh, culturally sensitive to me, or maybe to Inini. Mm -hmm. It means, uh, like, for example, we, those who come from Africa, Mm-hmm. like the whole of the sub-Sahara African countries. Mm-hmm. We tend to practice something more like Ubuntu, mm-hmm. where we, we are not individualistic. Yeah. Whereas when we come to the West, mm-hmm. they are a bit individualistic. Okay. And culturally sensitive to us is, like I mentioned earlier, that Inini is is structured in the Karanga way of life where the environment has to match the self. Mm -hmm. So the self culturally Mm -hmm. does not fit their environment in the UK. So the services are not culturally sensitive to us, to people that I work with because they are different. The environment is different to what they are accustomed to. Right, okay. So so the concept of Ubuntu is is I am because you are. So Karen, in your therapy, so can you illustrate how this culturally sensitive system works? So if a person from Sudan arrives at your service and, yeah, they're from sub-Saharan Africa, what what is it that you can do that the NHS with their counseling services doesn't do? Um, I think generally most kind of um, training for counselors or psychologists, we acknowledge the concept of self mm-hmm. and I, the I, and also, you know, I as an individual and then your social identity as you how you exist within a society mm-hmm. there are differences with different cultures in terms of how that is viewed you have particular cultures which can be re- re- um, referred to as coll- collectivization societies you know mm-hmm. like um countries like africa or asia or even you know south south american countries where their way of life it is about others the community there is no so much the i it is we you know you can't even use a phrase like i this is my house it's our house it's a we it's a community feel to it so a sense of belonging is very important to people who come and you know so if they're made to feel like the other the outsider their mm-hmm. needs are not kind of seen or identified then they will kind of feel a sense of loss they will have issues about identity because their identity is built within society is built within their role within society if that makes sense you know right. they see themselves as the sister the brother the you know the the daughter the the you know the aunt and all of that that's a very important part of who they are it's not just the i as in as in i as as an individual if that makes sense okay that's it's very very interesting um so do you think that people can get an adequate service in the mainstream service given those kind of backgrounds where they come from places where there's more sense of community mm. than the individual 
I think it is possible, but I think the awareness is is is, is very important. Um, mm. In that, first of all, um, the the service providers need to actually be aware of the needs of the people they're working to support, and uh, then adapt their services to make their services uh, accessible. When mm-hmm. I say accessible, I just don't mean open doors, but make sure that the the people who are coming to use their service, they feel they can. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes even certain things like uh, body language or gestures mm-hmm. can be interpreted in different ways from, uh, you know, in, in the different cultures. Mm-hmm. You know, I always sometimes joke and like talk about how for example, I'm from, from Zimbabwe myself, so I'm from Africa. And um, we have this thing where you, when you're talking to your elders, you can't look at your elder in the eye. Right. But um, in some kind of Western society, if you don't look at someone in the eye, then you're seen as being, de- you know, deception lying. Mm-hmm. So, you know, already there, that's a, a, an example of how different cultures can interpret body language in different ways. Right. So if you insist for like someone from my background, why aren't you looking at me in the eye? They'll find it really difficult because that can be seen as being disrespectful. It's, it's, you know, it's not something that you can just, you know, it's mm. unnatural in a way, okay. if that makes sense. Can I, can I yeah, respond to can that add, with yes. a case study? Yes, please do. Um, one of, my, uh, of the people I support said to me, uh, when I was asking her why she disengaged from services, she was going um, to a mainstream uh, organization for counseling mm. uh, because she, her Section 4 had run out and she was homeless. Right. Obviously, the therapist, in trying to understand her issues, mm. she asked what was going on. And my client explained that, oh, I'm homeless because my Section 4 has run out. Mm. Um, the therapist asked, where did you come from? She explained. Uh, what brought you to the UK in the first place? She explained. And the therapist then went on to say, oh, why don't you just go back home? Really? So that's killing it. That's killing it. Someone has run away. Hmm from torture, from whatever, and you're asking them why, don't, why they don't go back. And so, is this something that is commonplace, that people are, who come to your service tell you these, these, these issues that they face, that they're constantly asked, why don't you go back? Yes. Yes. What I see is most therapists, they don't understand the asylum system, they don't understand why people move from their countries to the UK, mm-hmm. why they seek asylum. They don't understand the asylum process. Mm-hmm. They don't understand what a refugee is. So it, 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 it's difficult to support somebody with, is, with refugee and asylum seeker issues when you don't understand the process because you don't know what to say to that person. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm making sense. No, you are. You yeah. are. You are making sense. Yeah. It's um, it's interesting. It may, it may well be that Inini probably needs to set up partnerships with some of the larger organisations that get all of the funding, in order to to make a significant impact. Because it, it seems to me that from everything that you are saying, people are presenting with all sorts of issues, but they're not seen and they're not heard. That's true. People are not heard. 
And what baffles me is all these major organizations, they really love to have asylum seekers and refugees come tell their stories. Mm. They are always asking for those stories, but they don't give anything back. Right. They don't support. They, they, they just listen to their stories and they, oh, shame, that's sad. Oh, does it happen like that? Oh, that's sad. I'm sure, oh, maybe we, 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 we could do something. But mm. you don't see anything coming. Yeah, I don't. I mean, that sounds very difficult. And Karen, let's talk about women, women in the asylum system, because women are some of the most vulnerable people generally in, in society. And what kind of cases do you deal with? Because there's all sorts of traumas and all sorts of things that women can suffer here in a in a in a new country when they just arrive and they don't have access to a lot of resources yeah yeah d definitely that's a very kind of important area to consider as well because as you as you rightly pointed out women can be quite vulnerable because it's different aspects isn't it mm. um you will find that sometimes you have issues to do with women's identity as a mother, you know, like uh, challenges with being a single parent and not having enough support about looking after being a kind of lone parent, looking after children and not having access to services that can help and mm. give them a break or, you know, it's 24 seven with your child and not being able to actually get some kind of help with mm -hmm. that so it can be quite stressful because i know one particular single mum mm -hmm. who um, is just her and her child all the time and is in, is in that process of waiting for a decision to happen for her so mm -hmm. there isn't much access to you know um resources or support to help her or give her a break um unless it's uh, you know a peer group support or that kind of thing and then you also have situations where you have domestic um, abuse or violence in that way, where again, because of going through the lack of recourse to um, public funds or resources, mm -hmm. if a, a woman who's going through the asylum process is in a victim of domestic abuse, sometimes they don't even know that they can access help or they, they don't know what services they, you know, is available to them because they're told they can't access various things. So they will suffer in that situation or they'll stick with it, um, you know, waiting and hoping that one day they will get a, a, a status and then they'll be able to um, access help. So, you know, you have a lot of situations where I've had clients that I've worked with where the woman is saying that um, I'm experiencing domestic abuse, but... Um, when I've gone to services, they said, we can't help you because of your, your status. And then that woman then makes a decision to stay in that, in that situation, which can be quite volatile. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so some of those are just, you know, some of the challenges actually that women do face through this journey. And then again, even with the housing situation, we had a, we had a client that we were supporting as well we had, who was in an accommodation where she was being bullied. And again, because she was vulnerable, um, you know, it affected her mental health, um, you know. Uh, and then there's so many, there's so many different variations of challenges that are faced by women through the process. Right, but do, do you find that by people attending your service that they 
in the end become more confident to be able to speak up for, for themselves? Have you got programs like that that try and look at people's confidence? Because if they're not confident, they're not going to go to a hospital, even if they, they, they're allowed to, because they, they have this perception that they're not. Hmm. Definitely, that's, you know, yes, um, we've had some of our clients really, it's been such a, 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 a privilege really to observe how their level of confidence has improved with inter interaction with our group sessions, mm. where we encourage people to come together and share, and share experience, share ideas, and just encouraging each other. Because sometimes you'll see members of the group, they're quiet initially, and then they start to talk as well. Yeah. And, you know, that process or even with some one-to-one -one sessions as well, you can actually see that sometimes people just want the opportunity to offload and to be heard, to just be in front of someone who wants to listen to them and be sincere about uh, about it. That just, you know, makes such a positive, um, you know, uh, Makes impact. such a difference. Yeah, it does. Right, and last, finally, just before we, we finish, what, what does the future hold? for for Anini. What do you what are your aims and your your ambitions and aspirations for for this community organization? Well um, what we want to see happening is for ethnic communities mm -hmm. to have equal opportunities. We want them to be able to get into employment. We want them to be able to get into education. We want them to be at par. We want them to be equal mm -hmm. to mainstream communities. Um, there's, a, there, there's a report that was ordered by Theresa May in 2017, mm -hmm. which said that... Um, BME communities are twice as poor as the mainstream communities. Mm. And it's, it's just not right. Yeah. It's just not right. There are people who are well educated within mm. these communities, but they can't access any jobs. And you think that this is largely driven by a lack of equal access? I do. I do. If we if we really look at um, the effects of COVID now, you will find that most black people work zero contract hours. Mm. So obviously, what happened is these people were not furloughed; mm -hmm. they just lost their jobs when the lockdown started, and that tells you that these obviously that there is more poverty now than ever before. Obviously, uh, COVID affected everyone. Hmm. All classes, all people were affected by COVID. But look at it like we are on a ladder. Hmm. And uh, black people are right at the bottom of that ladder. So hmm. if you are kicked downwards, where do you go? Hmm. I think this is what's happening. And what I would want to see is everyone having equal opportunities. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just don't want to see this intergenerational poverty thing going on for black people because mm. they work hard. They try. Mm. They try. Okay. I mean, that's very, very interesting and very inspiring. Um, Karen, from a therapist's 
point of view, what does the what needs to change? What one or two or three things would you say really need to change in the asylum system in order for people not to suffer trauma after trauma? I suppose personally, I just wonder if some of the decisions that we make as people, we can only be able to make them if we dehumanize someone. But if you actually acknowledge the person in front of you is a person, you know, mm-hmm. and work towards meeting their needs or just even just seeing them, we're not advocating for a situation where everyone gets like a positive response to everything. No, we're just saying recognizing people, seeing mm-hmm. people, and then responding to that. And currently you think that the system dehumanizes people? Because some of the stories that we've heard and the experiences um, shared by uh, the clients that we work with, you just wonder what, how, how that is possible. Mm. You know, if we are looking at each other as and working as people, you know. Right. Can I say what I think? I, I sure you I, can. I, want to see, I, I think. Um, with the current uh, policies that uh, asylum seekers are not allowed to work, mm-hmm. I think if asylum seekers were allowed to work mm-hmm. whilst waiting for their decision, it would make a big difference. Mm-hmm. Because living on that five pounds something per week, it's just, it's dehumanizing mm-hmm. because you will need to go out to look for to 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 get extra we spoke about the vulnerability of women mm-hmm. on the asylum process mm-hmm. uh, with the five pounds mm-hmm. they end up doing all sorts mm-hmm. they end up being abused because there isn't enough money coming in mm-hmm. but if they are able to work and pay their own way mm-hmm. all these things wouldn't happen yeah, so that's the that's the biggest solution. The government needs to yeah. to change the policy on on the right to work. Yes. Um, and in conclusion, where can people find find out about Inini? Are you on social media, or if you go to websites, how do people contact you? We are online. We are, we have a website www.inini.co.uk. We do have a Facebook page, mm-hmm. Inini Initiative Group, mm-hmm. and we also have uh, an Instagram page, right. Inini Initiative, yes. Okay, that's great. So thank you so much to Last Mafua and to Karen Lamini for coming on this episode of Still We Rise. So if you go to our website to www.carag.co.uk, you can go and have a look there at some of the things that Carag are doing in in Coventry and in the West Midlands and how you can join and become part of this this community organisation. Until the next episode of Still We Rise, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>